Well, good morning. You can have a seat, or you can keep wandering around. I'm going to start talking, have fun. Um, anyway, we are uh, starting a new series, this, or a new subject this week in the midst of the Reframing Grief, Reframing Faith series called Reframing Grief. And uh, grief is one of those subjects that we don't always, you know, it's kind of like, ooh, I bet you're excited, like, hey, we're talking about grief this morning. Woohoo! That sounds like it's going to be great. Um, this morning, um, when I think about this, I often think about a few years ago, probably, I don't know, probably four or five or long years ago or longer than that, there was this movie that came out called Marley and Me. Anybody seen Marley and Me? How many of you saw it in the theater? Did you see it in the theater? Okay, so you may have had the same, a similar experience as I did. Now, Owen Wilson is in that movie, and Owen Wilson's usually like the goofy guy, and so everyone's coming to the movie thinking, oh, this is an Owen Wilson movie. It's going to be funny and ridiculous and stupid. We're going to laugh. And so you sit down in this movie, and you're starting to watch it, and you get to the end, and all of a sudden, what it, you hear this like in the theater, right? The dog's like going to go into the vet, and you know what's going to happen, because this is like the new old yeller, right? So you know what's going to happen, and all of a sudden, you hear this like... <clears throat> And like, because everybody in the theater is starting to like weep, right? And they're like, they no one brought Kleenexes. They didn't know it was going to be a sad movie. And so they're like, you know, they're trying to find ways to discreetly wipe the snot on their arms or do something. And and so they're sitting there. And I remember seeing it with my kids. My my sons were, were younger, and you know, it's that season, like that stage of life where they don't really they don't see that kind of stuff coming. And so the dogs in the in the vet, and my son looks over at me. He sees all these people. Like the whole theater's weeping. He's like, Dad. Why is everybody crying? And I, I'm like, I'm like, just wait, you'll see him coming, you know. And and suddenly, you know, like two minutes later, I look over and he's like, Bruh! like everything, you know, the whole world has fallen off. And so I think about that, and I've even talked to people afterwards when I was talking about, them, like, oh yeah, Marley and me, that was a great movie. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like that was the saddest movie I've ever seen. I don't. I don't even want to go see, or they heard about it, and they're like, I do not want to go see that movie. Like, I am not, I do not go to movies where I have to be sad and weep the entire time. Like, I'm not going to do it. Because even the mention of the word grief causes most of us a little trepidation, right? Like, we, we think about it, we hear it, we go, ah, I don't like that. And in our culture, we see grief generally as a disruption. It's like a disruption to our schedule. It's an intrusion into our happiness, and it's not welcome. It's like, get it, I, I, don't want, I just want to get done. And we, I've heard people often, and I have conversations about these, the emotions that come with grief, like sadness and just like darkness and the, the things that they feel. And they go, what? You know, I, I feel like that, but uh, what good does it do to spend any time there? Why don't we just, just move on? Because what good does it do to spend any time there, you know? They're good central Pennsylvanians, you know? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get back to work, kids. Yeah, life is hard. That's the way it is, right? Like, and I think in that moment that we need a different way to process grief. Because when I consider all the things that we grieve, we grieve all kinds of things in our life. We know when we show up at a funeral. Uh, when, I, when I was 16, my grandfather died. I loved my grandfather. I felt like I really related to him. And so for the first time in my life, I grieved. Like I, but I knew when I was at the funeral, it was going to be okay. You know what I mean? As a guy, like it was going to be okay to cry at my grandfather's funeral. That was accepted. And I didn't know how much I was going to weep there, but, but I did. And so typically people kind of know it's okay to grieve when you're at the funeral, but what about after? And I've even heard people as they're eulogizing, as they're giving the eulogy as someone they love, they'll stand up and they'll say things like, well, but I know they wouldn't want to be sad. I know they wouldn't want me to be unhappy. So I know we just got to move on. And I think I, I, I don't think that that's really what God would want us to do. That's not really an example of over thousands of years of humanity, grief has been a part, a common part of the human experience because loss cannot be avoided. I mean, you can pretend that the world is all about happiness and even our constitution says it, right? Like, what does our constitution say? We are supposed to be empowered to be the pursuit of what? Happiness. And so we based our society on it. You know, even up to 100 years ago, it wasn't uncommon when someone lost someone they loved, a child, a parent, someone that they really cared about, that they would wear black for up to a year afterwards. And it was a commonly accepted practice. But today we so want to move on, to short circuit, to just get past. And so I want you just, before we start this morning, to kind of set a reset our experience with grief, because we're going to look at the Psalms this morning, like every other Psalm in the book of Psalms. 
is an experience with grief, an experience with those emotions. There, in the Bible, there's a whole book called Lamentations that's given to grief. And so thousands of years of human history can teach us something this morning, something that we've forgotten about how to grieve. So um, Leah's going to come, and she's going to just walk us through what it might be like to be the person who wrote Psalm 77, which is a passage we're going to spend in this morning, what it might have been like for them to be a fly on the wall in the room when they were writing that, when they were expressing themselves to God. So I just want you to sit back and kind of take all of that in. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed, hands lifted toward heaven. But my soul was not comforted. I think of God, and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. Oh, I think of the good old days long since past when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and I ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door upon his compassion? And I said, this is my fate the Most High has turned his hand against me. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts, and I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations, and with your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain, and the thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. The thunder roared from the whirlwind, and the lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. It's a very different way to experience grief, and it gives us a pattern. I mean, the the psalmists, their whole point of writing the psalms was to give us a pattern by which to understand grief to know what we're talking about when we hit grief. And grief is often this place where we hit a wall because grief is a place where we go, ooh, what's, what's working, what used to work, doesn't work anymore. Thank you, Brian. So this morning we want to talk a little bit about grief because grief is this place where we come in contact with like, man, things used to work and they don't work anymore and we hit this wall in our life. And whether you're a person of faith or a person or not, you can still hit a wall where things that used to work don't work. And we've been talking about this in the context of a a journey of faith where we become aware of God, we learn about God, we begin to be active with God and serve him, and then we hit a wall and we go, why isn't this working anymore? Why why am I here? And often grief is that place where like, I experienced a loss so significant that I can't just make things work anymore. Three things generally happen at the wall. One is people bail. They go, I, uh, this is not working, my faith's not working, my life's not working, so I'm bailing. I'm going to turn to addiction, I'm going to turn to work, I'm going to turn to something, and I'm going to pour myself into it to try to numb myself to everything else, because it's not, nothing else is working. Second thing people do is they try to go back and recreate what used to be. They're like, I don't like what's happening now, so I'm going to try to rewind the clock and go back to things that used to work and just pretend. And they settle in and say, I guess this is as good as it gets. But there's a third group of people, and this is what we've been inviting to you all series, to be that third group of people who are willing to come to the wall in your life and to sit and process, to sit and go, something new can happen to me here. 
And when you experience loss and grief, something surprising, an unexpected expansion of what's in you can happen because grief often leaves us with a void. And if we're willing to sit with it, if we're willing to watch and learn how to grieve, it can help us expand our interior to grow in our inside. And that's what God really wants for us. So I want to encourage you this morning to sit as we begin to process, begin to process grief and process what does it mean to grieve? Because this is kind of what this is about this morning. By asking this question, what good is there in grief? What, what good can come from grief? And in answering it, what I really want to do is not like, I don't expect this morning that if you're grieving a loss, that you're going to be able to leave with a smile on your face and everything's going to be solved. This is not a 30-minute episode of you know, sitcom where everything gets solved in 30 minutes. But I do want it to be a time where you can enter in and begin to see a pattern that emerges, that God has emerged for us to say, I've wired you, I know how you work, and this is what I want you to feel free to enter into at the wall, to be able to process loss and get through it. And so this morning, if you want to get out your outline, you can kind of follow along as we discover like an answer to this question. What is good about grief? What can happen that's good in grief? And it starts with this. It helps us recognize our loss. This is what grief does for us. Instead of avoiding it, we should embrace it because it helps us recognize our loss. So we all suffer losses. Every one of us suffers losses in our life. There are things that come our way. It's it's unavoidable. Even though we say we want to pursue happiness and we want it to all be happy, we might even try to avoid things that don't make us happy. Eventually, you come to grips with the reality of life, right? You will suffer losses. Everyone does. It is a part of this world. And so in suffering losses, we ask these questions like, when this void gets left behind, when there's this place in me that suffering and loss has extracted Will I just ignore it and pretend it's not there and end up paralyzed and unable to move, unable to go forward? Or will I enter into it? Will I say, there is a void in my life. I recognize that there was a loss. And I also recognize that maybe God wants to do something in the midst of that loss. Maybe something can happen in me. Now, loss comes in different forms. There are, sometimes it comes like a tsunami. Or, as I like to say, a tsunami, because why waste a tea? Why in the world did they put a tea on the beginning of that word if they didn't intend to use it? Sometimes loss comes like a tsunami. It overwhelms us. It is like, we did see it coming, and there it is. I remember uh, many years ago, um, I went to the hospital with one of my best friends in the world. He uh, lost his three-year-old son in the hospital. As I sat with him and heard him cry out to God, reminds me when I hear about loss and we still talk about it and we, I still cry with him. I cannot even imagine his pain and yet it's been 12 years. And when I see the tears come to his eyes, the tears come to mine. I remember. Sometimes loss is like that. It just overwhelms us. Sometimes, sometimes loss is like an unceasing rain in our life. Just, just raining and we just begins to, loss begins to stack up. And we ignore it, and we put it down, and we say, I can just move on, and things are going to be fine. But it just keeps stacking up until it comes to the place where we hit the wall, and we realize, I can't ignore the number of losses I've had anymore. Something is wrong inside of me. My behaviors are telling me. It's very clear that I've got to do something with the loss that I experience. And Psalm 77 is a gift. All of the Psalms are a gift because they help us understand How do I search for God in this loss? How do I get through this and not just be destroyed by it? So Psalm 77 starts this way. It says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Because when I have lost in my life, what happens? I can't move on. I don't think I I feel like alone. I feel like God doesn't hear me. I feel like I can't move on. And so the psalmist says, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I would not be comforted. I refused to be comforted. Psalms are this gift to us to pay attention, to recognize there's loss. The psalmist is saying, like, I refuse to be comforted. I, 
I picture the psalmist in this place where people were asking those questions, right? Like, hey, how you doing over there? You ready to come out of the room now and have some dinner? Hey, why don't we go out to the movies? Have a good time. You'll forget about all that. And let's just go have a good time. Maybe, hey, come out and drink a little bit with us. And let's, let's just put that all behind us. He's getting all of these requests. And he says, no, I refuse to be comforted. I refuse to move on as if I hadn't experienced a loss. Because that will do me no good. There's nothing good that's going to happen in that. It's very, it's almost totally unnatural. The fact that he chooses to stop, chooses not to shorten his grief. But the truth is that most of us don't like to stop. Most of us don't. I mean, it can seem almost terrifying to stop and recognize there's loss, to admit that we've lost something in our life can seem like, what if I do that and it doesn't stop? What if I go there and I just can't get past it? The Psalms are like this gift to say, don't be afraid. God's not as afraid of your emotions as you are. Grief gives us this opportunity to search for God, to go, God, I can't face this without you. I desperately, desperately need you. Far too often in our life, we just want to move on, get past it, um, to move on so quickly that we don't experience it. So grief says, stop. Stop and let something good happen here. You know, um, several years ago, I was grieving some losses in my own life, and I was in that place that you get to that you just feel dark. And you just feel sad all the time. Like you, you want to fake it, but you know like your emotions are close to the surface. And you just are like, oh. And um, I remember this song that someone got, just they gave it to me as a gift. Um, it's by Leland. It's called Brighter Days. And it basically says, like for now, it's cloudy, it's rainy, but someday the sun is going to come out again. Someday... There'll be brighter days, but for now, I'll wait. I'll choose not to just run after it. I'll just wait here in this place. I'll just wait while God meets me in this place. Someday something new is going to happen. Someday that will happen, but for now, I'll be here. I remember I I put probably a 1,000 miles on that song. Like I would run, and I would go out for a run, and I'd just put it on repeat, you know, in my ears, and I'm just running, and I'm hearing that song over and over, and as a guy... Like, I need places to cry that no one can tell I'm crying, right? So, like, going out on the road, you can, like, first of all, you're running. So if you cry too much, you're going to have a heart attack and fall over. So it kind of, like, you know, mediates that place for me. And also, like, you're out on the road, and people are like, wow, look at that guy. He's running so hard, like, snot's flying out of his nose. That guy's, like, committed. Really, what's happening inside of me is I'm in this place of waiting. And I put many miles in that song, and at one point, as I was running... I realized that part of what I was doing in my loss was chasing daylight. I was chasing after the sunset. I I wanted so badly to keep alive, to to not admit that there was loss in my life, to say, no, 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 that's not lost. I can still get that. I'm going to run after it. I am going to get that sunset. I'm going to keep it alive. When really what God was inviting me to do is recognize that there was a loss, that I wasn't going to catch the sun. You know, if you've ever tried to run after the sunset, it's like running after the, finding the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when you're a kid, right? Is there a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Have you ever done that? God, I actually did it once. There's no pot of gold. There's not even an end of a rainbow. You never get there. What's the fastest way, if you want to have sun and you're chasing the sunset, what's actually the fastest way to daylight? Is it chasing the sunset? What do you do? You wait for the dawn. The sun comes in the east. Each day comes darkness. Each morning comes dawn. And so you have to make a choice. Will I wait in the darkness? Will I plunge in because I can't avoid loss? So all I can do is plunge in and say, I'll sit here in the darkness, knowing that for now God will be with me here, that I won't be alone, that God will be with me here, and that brighter days will come. Because if you move on too quickly, if you decide not to stop to grieve, it only compounds the emptiness and the loneliness. And I know that for some of you, you will need to chase that sunset until you are exhausted by it because that's the moment when you'll be willing to stop. So do it. But just know, as you're chasing it and avoiding it, as you're going, I won't admit that there's loss, 
that emptiness, that loneliness, that feeling inside is only going to grow. Because avoiding grief only strips you of the possibility to discover what's new on the other side of your loss. And so we ask this question, what's, what's good about grief? Well, it helps us recognize our loss, but it also gives us this other gift, and that's what's good about grief. It helps us reflect on our loss. It helps us understand that reflection is good, and not just reflect on our loss, but reflect on our life in view of our loss. And what's happening in us, ref- this idea of reflection is really about getting to our true self, about who God made us to be, about how we really feel, about our deepest feelings about God and about ourselves. Reflection is really about helping us understand that it's not so much about what's happening to us that's as important as what's happening in us. You catch that? So when we experience loss, we often focus about on what's happening to us. But what's happening to us is not nearly as important as what's happening in us. And reflection gives us the opportunity to experience what is happening in me. What's God want to do in me? Reflection gives us this opportunity to dive underneath the surface and to experience what we're passively resisting. Passively resisting going, "Mm, I don't want to explore my feelings. I don't know what's there. Maybe I'll explore my feelings and there'll be nothing there. I mean, guys are typically like, Feeling, I don't, I don't feel anything. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's going to be good. Women are, te- women generally tend to be a little bit better with their feelings, but they don't really, they haven't really explored them either. They just know they feel them. All of us need to know how to dive in, enter into a place to say what's really going on, not just with my feelings, but with my deepest person. What's happening on deep interior me? Because we prefer to be happy, or we prefer not to get stuck in sadness. And so we go, ooh, I don't know if I want to go there. But the psalmist invites us to it, and he invites it to it, to us, us to it in this way. This is what he says in verses 7 through 9. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Apparently, no one told this guy, you're not supposed to say this stuff to God. Don't tell him that you actually doubt him. Don't don't actually say that you don't even know if he's here right now. And yet, God made sure it was recorded so that we all would know it's okay not to be afraid to say what's really going on in your heart, to express the truest part of who you are to God. The feelings that feel most dangerous to you, they don't feel dangerous to God at all. And too often in our life, we think that expressing that kind of stuff to God, he's going to be backing up the whole time when really he's not. He already knows what we feel. He's already sure of it. But it's our responsibility, and grief helps us with this, helps us reflect and unearth hidden hurdles in our life, things that were actually have been hurdles our entire life to understand and know who God is, to know how to build relationships with others. There are hurdles in our life, and in grief, we unearth them. We discover what's really going on here. What do I really feel about those things? Now, some of you might be thinking right now, like, well, why bother? I mean, honestly, like, I'm not really convinced that I should bother doing this. And maybe some of you, like, you're not even on a faith journey yet. You're not even sure what you believe about God. You're going, eh, I'm not convinced that that anything good can happen out of feeling my feelings. Like, I don't... So let me, let me just let me show you a paradigm. There's this paradigm um, about how we're built in our life, layers of life, that is generally accepted as true. That there's first, in our life, there's our life situation. Our life situation is that loss that we felt, those things that happen to us. But underneath our life situation, right, is our behaviors. Now, most, most of us know this is that we have certain ways we behave with other people, certain ways we interact with them, and our life situation often kind of determines what behaviors come out. Sometimes they're not so good behaviors, right? And other people are the first people to tell you, like, uh, why are you yelling at me? Why are you upset with me? What's going on? Because underneath our behaviors, whether we think this or not, this is just the reality, are our emotions. And often our behaviors are determined from our emotions. This is where they stem from. So even if you don't admit that you have the feeling, guess what's still determining how you act? The feeling. 
And underneath the feeling is our beliefs. Why we feel so strongly about something is determined by what we believe. What we believe is true in the universe and for us. I, all, I, I don't know. I always think that, you know, I'm going to be left behind. Or I, I never think, feel like I'm part of a group. Or um, I never feel like, like I feel like I'm, if I fail, no one's going to like me. Or I feel like I've got to do certain, i got to please certain people to be well-valued in life. All these things are things that we believe that determine our emotions, that help us interact. And when grief and loss comes into our life, they start to surface. And underneath our beliefs is our true self, who we really are. Often it's hidden underneath things that we believe about us that aren't true. And underneath that is who we really are. And down here at this layer, this is where our wounds often are, like our deepest wounds. That loss tends to unearth those deepest wounds in our life. That's where they really sit. And so here's what happens. If you're a person who says, you know what, I like to wall these things off. I am the, what good can come from feeling those feelings? I'm just going to wall this thing off. I'm going to make sure that these things never get out, never get felt. I'm not going to spend any time there. These things stay the same and never change. You can wall this off all you want. You can pretend that you turn down the volume, but there ain't no shut-off valve for your emotions. They will leak, and they'll leak over all the people you care most about. And so you'll find yourself yelling at your children for trivial things. You'll feel yourself not being able to be gentle or tender with your spouse. You'll feel yourself isolating yourself from your friends. You'll find yourself having physical symptoms when there's nothing physically wrong because you walled this off, you pretended it wasn't there, and it's affecting you anyway. It's leaking all over your life. So what I find with most people, when you understand that this is true, most people become convinced, I really, okay, so maybe I have to deal with this, but how? Pastor Sean, how do I actually deal with my emotions? I want to give you an opportunity this morning to just write a letter of lament, to begin a letter of lament. Now, I don't want to pretend that this letter, of, I'm going to, we're just going to take five minutes to do it. I'm not going to pretend that in five minutes it's all going to come out. I've, I've spent hours writing letters like this about losses in my life. And maybe for some of you, there's just small losses that this can help you begin to start. For some of you, it's just going to scratch the surface of some deeper losses, the things that you need to really grieve in your life. And you're going to have to go home and spend some time doing it. But I just want to start it today. Just begin. It's from, um, it's actually a gal named Joyce Rupp who writes a book about this. And so we've adopted this as a way for you to do it this morning. So there's this prayer. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. Then we'll take some time to do it. It says, Dear God, when I experienced, and this first part of the prayer is really about going, what is it that I've experienced? What loss have I had? It's a loved one. Maybe it's a season of life. Maybe it's an era. Maybe it's a loss of physical abilities or a dream for a relationship I'm never going to have. And after you answer that one, you can move on to the next one, which is, what have I felt about this? What's going on within me? Do I feel sad, angry that this, this is gone or frustrated? Am I afraid of what the future holds without that? Then you can begin to answer the next question, which is, what do I feeling all of that, what do I feel robbed of? Because often when loss hits our life, we feel robbed of something. We go, I love that about that person, or I love that about that season of life, and I'm going to miss it, and I feel robbed of it. So this gives you an opportunity to begin to express that, to begin to identify that, and then begin to just open up your hands and let go. Say, I'm not going to chase the sunset anymore. I'm not going to try to hold on to this and pretend that it's alive when it's really gone. It's going to open up my hands so not only can this thing go but new things can come so i'm just going to sit back now and let next five minutes john's going to play and i'm just going to let you in to walk through that process for yourself
some of you might be still in this process, and some of you are just starting to think about it. I'm just going to seal this time with this prayer that I want to read over you from Joyce Rupp. Lord Jesus, I sense your presence with me, O God of the journey. You are guarding me even in my most vulnerable moments. And you are promising me to be my peace as I face the struggles and my grief. Now, Jesus, renew in me a deep trust in you. Calm my anxiousness. As I reflect on my life, I can clearly see how you have been with me in all of my leavings, how you have been there in all of my comings, how you will always be with me in everything. I do not know how I am being resettled, but I place my life into the welcoming arms of your love. Encircle my heart with your peace, and may your powerful presence run like a strong thread through the fibers of my being. This morning, I hope that you just got some opportunity to walk through that grief. Thanks, John, for an awesome job facilitating that time. I, uh, I know that some, sometimes we have these big moments of loss in our life, and they're easy to identify. Some of you, that came right to mind during that time. And for others, they're small moments, things that you never even thought about as lost, things that you've just moved on past a long time ago, and you're like, oh, no, no, that's good. I want to encourage you. This is a way to be open to say there are small things that also are important losses in our life. Things like even like this past year, I, uh, I, I just realized like over the last year, like I separated my shoulder this year, I blew out my knee. Like I'm just coming to realize that 45 is not 25, right? It's a whole new season of life. I can't do the things I used to. I could ignore that and just move through it. Or I could just take some time to grieve it. Don't have to take 10 days to grieve it, but I need to be able to go, God, I can't be the adventurer I used to be. I can't do those things I used to do. I loved being that person that could go out there and do those things and ski down the hill fast and not be afraid to fall. And now I'm the guy who goes out, and the, really the goal is don't fall while you ski because limbs will fly off, right? It's okay to grieve those losses. It's important to recognize them. It's important to reflect on them and what's happening in life. And then we answer this last question as a part of this, what's good about grief? And this is the last part that helps us kind of come back together and what Psalms always do at the end, and that is helps us reorient ourselves back towards God. This is the pattern that we find in Psalms. Because a strange thing can happen when you're willing to be authentic with God and be real with him and beat on your chest and tell him how you really feel and just get real about all of that stuff something strange becomes a possibility. When you think, just when you think you're being honest with God, and he's like most other people who are like, wow, that's a lot of emotion. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. I'll be back in a minute. Just when you think that's what he's doing, you realize he's not backing away at all. He's coming close. And he's saying, come closer. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I draw you in in this moment, and I want to embrace you. It's in that moment we realize how good he is. And in Psalms 77 and verses 19 and 20, we read this. Your path led me through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. In other words, God, even when I couldn't see it, even when I was in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the darkness, even when I was just an unceasing rain in my life, a tsunami that overwhelmed me, even then, in that moment when stuff came my way and I expressed myself to you, even then you're there. Even when I can't see you at work, even then you're with me. And you're not far away, you're close. It says in verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. There is this incredible picture of a tender God who never fails to meet us when we grieve. Who doesn't have the sense of like, he doesn't know what loss is because he subjected himself to loss on a cross to bear all of our pain and all of our shame and all of our suffering. This is not a God who avoids loss, but has entered into it with us. He says, don't be afraid. This is an opportunity to 
to understand the greatest mystery, the greatest beauty of God of all. And that's that God is both powerful enough to heal your deepest wound and personal enough to just sit with you in your greatest pain. And that he can just be present with you in that moment. And I know that sometimes that's, that's all you need to hold on to because when you really feel lost, when you're willing to enter into it, it's like this moment of going, I don't know if I believe. And in your pain, you go, I, I, I'm tempted just to reject you, God. I feel like you might just be doing this to me. And yet you hesitate to reject him totally. And so you move towards him and then you move away and you work through it. And in the midst of it, you go, as you begin to choose God and say, God, maybe you could be here, you discover the secret that was true all along, and that's that he's always chosen you. He's chosen you from the very beginning of time to have a relationship, to enjoy his embrace, to be with you. And in those times of loneliness, I know those times of doubt, those times of darkness, some of the greatest hope I've had is other stories other people who have been through losses too and who can speak hope and life into us of how to move through it. So I just want you to listen to um, Deb Williams' story. She's suffered a lot of losses in the last year or two, and God's really moved in her through that. And So I just want you to sit back and kind of take in a story of hope, a story of what happens when you're willing to sit at the wall and have God meet you. My grief journey began four years ago when my family and I entered a period of loss. I had been praying and considering resigning as a nurse in the pediatric intensive care. Little did I realize what the ensuing months were going to hold. Just three weeks after I resigned, my stepfather died on Easter weekend. I remember walking with mom through her grief which was really difficult. They'd been married 10 years and had a lot of joy and companionship together. And she took his death hard. And as I walked with her through it, I sensed her loneliness. Later that summer, my brother Tim was admitted to the hospital and required emergency surgery for a perforated bowel. He spent four weeks there. And we later found out that he had lymphoma, a type of cancer. What made this time, time challenging is that Tim has Down syndrome. And so he had a very limited ability to understand what was happening. He required one-to-one care. And so my two other brothers and I would be with him a portion of every day while he was awake. Tim needed some more nursing care when he was discharged. And so after talking about it, John and I decided to bring him home to live with us. And so he came to stay at our house. Tim had been in a group home since he was 12. So this was going to be a whole new experience for all of us. But after about seven weeks, he was ready to go back. So he went back to the group home and I took a deep breath because I thought we could relax and get back to life as a family. Two weeks later, mom was admitted to the hospital and she was diagnosed with both stomach and colon cancer. We were in shock. Now we began again the whole litany of treatments, decisions, And they decided to do surgery and were able to remove the cancer in her colon, but weren't able to get to the tumor in her stomach. I spent many hours with her those last days. We all did. But I remember that I was feeling like the edges were beginning to fray, like they were beginning to come apart. Mom died on January 4th, just two months after her initial diagnosis. It was a hard time for us as a family. It was a hard time for me. I had a a lot of void and sadness left in my heart. After all the details revolving around her death were over, I thought, that's it. But in reality, it was just starting. That's when I hit my wall. I was exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I remember sitting in a chair in my room, it's my quiet time chair, And I sat there just utterly weary and confused and drained. In Psalms 25, and there's a passage of verses there that I kept reading over and over. And it says, show me your way, O Lord. 
teach me your truth. Guide me, because you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. I probably sat in those verses for about two months because I felt in such need of direction and guidance right then. I remember thinking I couldn't catch my breath with each of the transitions that kept coming along. And it was in early 2012 that John's dad died suddenly. And now John was walking through his own loss and his own pain, and I was walking alongside of it. The grief we experience with loss isn't about the one who died. I didn't long to have mom or Jack or John's dad back. They were in heaven, completely whole, free from pain and with Jesus. What we do is grieve for ourselves, for the hole that's left in our lives and in our heart when someone's gone. I did a lot of journaling back then writing down of my memories, my thoughts, my feelings, my dreams about mom, both good and bad. I remember feeling aimless. A lot of my emotions were close to the surface. Normally I enjoyed being with people, but now it was draining to be with people. The stress of the loss had taken a toll on all my relationships especially my relationship with John and my girls. That's where I felt it most keenly. Add to that was also the fact that my daughters were starting their careers and going away to college, and that just compounded my sense of grief. About three months after mom had died, I sought the help of a counselor. I couldn't tell if I was just still grieving or if I was depressed. And in one of our first sessions, he recommended that I just be. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny because I don't know how to measure that and it wasn't tangible. And how do you determine if you're making any progress or you're having any success? And yet, I could tell by my angst that this is what I needed to hear. That God was telling me that he wanted me to be still, to be quiet, to sit in his presence, and to listen for him. These past few years have been a time of refining, of strengthening my faith, of healing. I have had my identity retooled, my role as a mom, a daughter, a nurse, and even a wife. It's been a time that I've sensed God strengthening me. I have experienced sweet times of communion with my Heavenly Father. I have learned and am learning to rest in His presence. Sometimes someone's story of walking through and you know the grief that they've faced can be that strand that you need to hold on to. A place of knowing that you can walk through it too. That God will meet you in it. I was reading a post by Kay Warren last night on Facebook. Um, April comes up on, on an anniversary of her son's death. Kay Warren is uh, Rick Warren's wife. They're, they're, Rick's a pastor in uh, California. Well-known pastor. And so their son committed suicide just almost a year ago. And in her post, she was talking about how, like, people come up to her and like, hey, how you doing? Hey, are you, are you ready to come back yet? Hey, we really need you. She said, there's just no way to rush through this kind of loss. That she feels like people are asking her, like, hey, we're ready for the old K back. She says, but that K is gone. That K you can never have back because loss changes you. And you can't go back to the way it was. Jerry's sister in his book, A Grace Disguised, is an incredible read. He talks about how when he lost his wife and his son and his family was in this car accident and he like crunching metal, like he saw the whole thing go down. He walked and saw, was with them and saw them all pass away in a horrific way. He talks about how he had to realize at one point 
that either loss itself would be the defining moment in his life or his choice of how he would respond to loss would be the defining moment of his life. He says loss doesn't have to be your defining moment. Your response can be your defining moment. How you walk in that and through those moments, your willingness to enter in to grieve loss, to allow God to meet you in it and do something significant can either be this moment where loss shrinks your soul because you just try to ignore it and avoid it and it just shrinks you and shrivels you up or it can be this moment where you invite God into it and you find your soul enlarged. You find yourself changed and transformed. And that's what I invite you into this morning because maybe this morning you felt that overwhelming thing of loss. And maybe you just felt like maybe I shouldn't avoid some losses. And you need the promise that God offers us from James. Come near to me and I will come near to you. Enter into loss. Come near to me and I will come near to you. I will do the work of transformation even when it feels like I don't, you don't know what's going on. I will sit with you with my powerful presence because I am powerful enough to heal and I am personal enough to be with you and present in those moments. Maybe you're a person that you've never felt like, you just never want to be, feel sorry for yourself. You don't want to play the part of a victim and so you've put loss off. Just try to move on and not grieve it. And this morning you feel God's invitation let yourself feel again, to let him meet you. Maybe you're a person who have, has walked in that emptiness, in that void, and you know, like you, you felt stuck by it, like muck that's just sucking you down. This morning is God's invitation not to be overwhelmed, but to allow God to be overwhelmed you, to allow God's presence to do something new, even in the midst of feeling feelings. So I want to give you an opportunity to sit in that. I want to pray over you. Susie's going to come and sing in the waiting, which is just a song about waiting in those moments and allowing God to meet you in it. And as she does, some of you, you're just you're ready to respond and write something on your card. And for others of you, you need to sit in this a little longer and allow God to speak to you and meet you in a new way. So I just want to offer this prayer to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that in the next few moments and in our life that you would be with us while we wait in our pain and our hurt and our agony. I pray that you would be our hope and our comfort. That while we are in our pain, you are there. You are working in us and you are bringing a new day. In Jesus' name.